Hello and welcome to the latest Tech UK podcast. My name is Jill Broom and I'm the Programme Manager for Cybersecurity and Central Government here at Tech UK. The focus of today's episode is the second report in our Cyber People series, the role of the Chief Information Security Officer, or CISO, in a digitally transformed organisation, which was launched towards the end of last year on the 2nd of December. In this report, which you can find on the Tech UK website, we carry forward some of the themes from the first report in the series, which looked at the CISO at the C-suite. In particular, we look at what CISOs should be doing to help ensure cybersecurity is recognised as a business enabler and a critical ingredient in helping their organisation to deliver on its digitalisation journey. During today's conversation, we'll explore this further with our three expert guests, Paul de Cruz, Security Solutions Leader at Microsoft UK, Jean-Christophe Gaylard, Managing Director of Corex Partners, and Martin Borat, IBM Distinguished Engineer and CTO at IBM Security. We'll also talk more about the problematic balancing act of the CISO function, as well as taking a closer look at some of the recommendations offered to tech company CISOs in the report. As cybersecurity underpins an increasing part of everything an organization does, the role of the CISO function continues to evolve, enabling cyber resilient cultures to develop over time. This report's recommendations are made to guide today's CISOs to ensure that cybersecurity is recognized as a business enabler and that the progress made towards digitalization during the pandemic continues. And those recommendations are underpinned by useful examples from industry leaders, some of whom we're about to speak to just now. Indeed, I am delighted today to be joined by three very experienced cybersecurity professionals, Paul, Jean-Christophe, and Martin, all of whom contributed to this Tech UK publication. Before we get into the report's findings, I wonder if each of you would like to just introduce yourselves, your roles, and maybe why the topics covered in this report are of interest to you. We'll start with you, Paul. Thank you, Jill. So Paul de Cruz here. I'm the Director for Cybersecurity for Government at Microsoft in the UK. Um, I have a really long-term interest around the development of the CISO role and the impact that uh, he or she can make. So that was why I wanted to be involved uh, with this report today. Thank you. Jean-Christophe? Hi, everybody. Thank you, Jill. I'm JC Gellard. I'm the founder and managing director of Corix Partners, and we're a boutique management consulting business based in London, which I set up about 10 years ago, and we're focused on helping C-level execs with cybersecurity strategy, organization, and, and governance challenges. I've been writing regularly on the role of the CISO since about 2015, and I contributed to the first uh, report last year in the Cyber People series with, with Tech UK. Thanks, JC. Martin? Good morning, Jill. Thank you. Uh, Martin Burrett. I'm an IBM Distinguished Engineer and the CTO for IBM Security across EMEA. I spend my time with clients uh, bringing our technology to bear to tackle their cybersecurity challenges, particularly leveraging innovations around AI and automation. And I, I'm very interested in the work around this report because I think it's important we continue to evolve the role of the CISO and provide pragmatic and actionable guidance to security leaders as we all go on this, this journey together. So in this report, we explore what the CISO should be focusing on in an era where every organization is a technology organization. We highlight the CISO's role in ensuring cybersecurity is recognized as a business enabler, helping their organization to deliver on its digitalization journey, 
and we touch upon the key attributes of a successful CISO. So I have wanted to ask each of you, over the course of the pandemic, are we any closer to this way of working? Paul, perhaps if I can come to you first, are things improving for the CISO function or are we just treading water? So Jill, I think broadly uh, they are improving. Uh, the, the pandemic uh, certainly has highlighted even more importance for uh, the CISO role and, and that organisation. In, in the report itself, we highlight many areas which have seen the CISO leading through the case of the pandemic and beyond uh, to demonstrate the overall uh, value to the business. For example, uh, there's been broader increased focus on uh, the direct engagement with the board, uh, particularly in areas of uh, risk and crisis management. Uh, and certainly we refer to this around looking at moving forward, we will see the CISO focusing on that, that business risk more so than kind of technical risk um, moving forward. Um, the other aspect was um, around strategy and the direction that there was, you know, real-time strategy guidance given back to the business around areas such as, you know, secure remote working, hybrid working, and uh, making sure the right security controls uh, were in place around that. And on, you know, really ensuring that compliance was in place as well. So, and that was with the backdrop of a very uh, challenging uh, landscape and a changing landscape as well. Um, I think the, the other aspect that's broadly something that the CISO uh, did more so in the past on the technical side. Actually, that's broadened in regards to having uh, a larger extended team uh, where that technical strategy has been built out around areas like Zero Trust, which again, we refer uh, to in, in the report where we're looking at how how can the, the business move towards this remote working and, and cloud adoption, which we saw a, a very large take up uh, during the pandemic as well. Thank you, Paul. How about you, Jean-Christophe? I I would be a little bit more cautious than than than, than Paul and answering your answering your question. For me, uh, it's a little bit more more mixed, if you want. The, the perception I have of the evolution of the role throughout throughout the last couple of years, I think it's quite obvious to all of us and probably to all our listeners that the focus since the beginning of the pandemic has been essentially on tactical matters. Uh, yes, a lot has been done. Cybersecurity has been close to the top of the agenda in many, many, many organizations. And 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 on the on the one hand, that would have helped some CISOs, but on the other hand, as I said, the focus has been entirely tactical. And very often, you know, it's been a matter of knee-jerk reactions, which have simply added um, technical debt to an already significant amount of technical debt in the cybersecurity space. And frankly, where, where, where maturity was low and it was a genuine transformative effort which was required, and, and some sort of mid to long term strategic vision, which was required to actually change cybersecurity practices. I'm not sure the pandemic has helped a lot around that. I think it has exacerbated some form of, you know, an endemic short termist tendencies, which we have been um, suffering from in the cybersecurity industries for, for, for the last decade or so. So I don't want to be too, too dramatic, but I'm, I'm, I would like to ponder a little bit more, uh, you know, what, what, uh, what, what Paul was saying. Thank you, JC. Um, how about you, Martin? What do you think? I'm also leaning a little bit towards uh, JC, to be honest. I, I think the life of a CISO continues to be tremendously challenging. Um, there's a lot to do. Uh, time is against them. Uh, there are skills challenges, uh, a lot of alerts. Uh, we only have to look at the 
you know, most recent vulnerability disclosure in the last few days, log, log4j, you know, the, the vulnerabilities haven't haven't gone away. And so I think, you know, certainly what we've seen these last uh, 18, 24 months it, it is tremendous acceleration in uh, organizations' digital transformation. Um, and that's exciting, that's good, but that brings with it uh, complexity uh, across the technology landscape, the, the long tail of technology, if you like, um, adoption of uh, hybrid cloud is, is accelerated, remote working. So I, I think that's also accelerated people looking at uh, approaches and strategies like zero trust. So I think that's, you know, zero trust adoption has, has accelerated. Um, and and I, th I think the way that CISOs have kept the head above water is to focus on those key uh, business initiatives that are really essential. And, and perhaps these are somewhat tactical, um, but certainly helping secure that uh, remote workforce that we've seen uh, over the last two years and, and on that cloud journey. And so by focusing on specific business initiatives, adoption of hybrid multi-cloud or securing the remote workforce, or really focusing specifically on tackling some of these vulnerabilities and ransomware attacks that we see, I think that's the way in which they're uh, keeping the head above water. So by prioritizing and focusing. Thanks, Martin. So in order to guide an organisation's approach to the CISO function as their digital transformation continues, the report offers seven recommendations or practical steps to take, and it'd be good to take this opportunity to have a closer look at some of those. Paul, we use Microsoft's cybersecurity response to COVID-19 as a good example of innovation in the CISO role. Can you please take us through some of the key aspects of Brett Arsenal's approach that enables the organization to adapt quickly in the event of sudden change and the recommendations in the report that are underpinned by this approach? Thanks, Jill. So from a point of view of uh, Brett Arsenal's role in the wider CISO uh, community, it's not just around technical architecture. He actually uh, focuses on kind of operational excellence, uh, business enablement and risk management. And uh, for the pandemic, he actually picked up also leading the crisis response there as well. So from a perspective of what that meant, uh, that led to looking at how uh, we could move from around 18% of the workforce working remotely uh, through to uh, around 97% uh, actually working in that capacity. And of course, there's a broad section of role types and personas uh, within Microsoft as well. Um, and that actually continues now as we look at the, the hybrid working uh, framework that we're in and uh, many businesses uh, experience now. Um, so if we look at the recommendations that were, were put in place, so firstly, um, a lot of the preparation uh, that allowed us to respond so quickly uh, was in place through uh, regular working with senior leadership and the board, uh, looking at crisis situations. Uh, pre-planning and uh, doing regular exercises in that area. So both the employees and the board uh, were aware of uh, the kind of needs and reaction that they needed around those kind of uh, situations. Um, the other aspect that really came uh, to the forefront was working with the end users and thinking about uh, that experience for the end user and also thinking about how security uh, formed part of that and it was their responsibility as well. So we built this uh, digital empathy model 
which again was was another recommendation that we've talked about in the uh, Tech UK report. So thinking about uh, utilising tools and the right processes, just to think about how uh, we can take some of that security burden off off individuals as well, and and also help them understand some of the new tools that have been rolled out. So a good example uh, areas like facial recognition for for single sign-on. Uh, some some users uh, obviously have concerns about using some of these newer technologies and and working with them around that and addressing those concerns in balance with uh, the benefits that they're going to get uh, and experiences there as well. So I think all of these things um, are uh, areas that we continue to build on. Um, so some of the plans for the CISO are con you know continuing, but then again building on these frameworks uh, moving forward. So I think that was uh, some of the the takeaways that we saw. Uh, from uh, Brett's perspective at Microsoft. Thank you, Paul. Um, JC, do you have any thoughts on this approach? Just, um, just something I mentioned, Jill, when we were working on the report. When I first saw the the, the, the early drafts of the report, and and what Paul has just been talking about the, the digital empathy model, uh, in particular. I wondered, and it's more a question, frankly, to Paul or, or, or Martin, I wondered, how do you manage to navigate around GDPR and privacy con constraints? Because it's not just about matching, you know, uh, the, ex the employee's expectations and, and, and the employee um, experience, if you want, or improving and securing the employee experience. It's also meeting regulatory obligations here when it comes to UK or EU citizens. How, how do you how do you manage to square that that that, that circle uh, as a matter of fact, Paul? Yeah, sure. So. Uh from a perspective of uh, building to the regulations and, and compliance side. So that's very much part of the ongoing activities from Brett's role. It wasn't just about the user experience, but I think the, the important thing here is um, as we go to remote working, there was changes in the landscape uh, within the business that needed to be addressed and that compliance still needed to be very much there. So that's a real balancing act uh, from a perspective of what's expected of the user versus uh, the organization. So that's very much the forefront of thinking uh, from the CISO role. Uh, that definitely didn't go away. Uh, if anything, that's uh, more impacted through, through that discussion. But um, effectively, with the right framework in place, uh, then those challenges can be, uh, can be addressed. And I suppose the framework that I didn't touch on there, which uh, we broadly will uh, further on in this discussion, was that zero trust framework where we actually had a lot of those principles in place that we could call on uh, to make sure that uh, as the individuals move to that remote working, uh, we already had that that uh, right framework in place to meet the compliances in the various different uh, theatres that we work in globally. Thanks, Paul. Martin, do you have um, anything to add about the approach? I, I think the only thing I can add here, I mean, it, obviously this is very, very, Complex, and I think I think the work to be done is really uh, in the area of simplifying and securing that. You know, if you think about the user onboarding uh, process and approach, you know, simplifying that, securing that, uh, managing you know user preferences and their consent, uh, and enforcing those privacy uh, regulation controls. You know, uh, across uh, across the infrastructure, and and you know, it. it it's not simple, that's that's for sure. But I think there are um, blueprints for you know approaches, successful approaches to to make that more manageable. 
and and bite that off a piece piece at a time so that you can uh, arrive at the right uh, approach for your organization thank you martin Jean Christophe, in the report, we highlight four key categories that the CISO's responsibilities fall into. We've got leadership, strategy, technical, and governance. And we say that broadly, those categories require equal attention for the CISO to be successful. So the skill is moving beyond the purely technical. We also touch upon the fact that we need to look at the CISO function more broadly than as just one person's role. Can you talk us through these points a bit more, please? I think this is a theme we started to explore in the report last year. And I, I really would like to go back to a number of things we said on the on, on, on the podcast we, we recorded around the same time last year after the first report was released. I think there is something a bit crazy in expecting the same individual to be credible one day in front of the board, the next in front of regulators, the day after in front of in front of developers and then tech vendors and then suppliers and all that all the way across the technical chain, all the way across the depth and the breadth of the enterprise, all the way across the corporate silos, including HR, legal, privacy, you name it. It's absolutely silly to, 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 to think that one person could have all those skills and be capable of you know, driving across all those work streams and be credible and be audible. I think those profiles are so rare that frankly, you know, they hardly exist at all. And I think it's, a, it's, it's a, when we talk about the CISO, we often have the tendency of thinking in that way. And, and, and frankly, that doesn't make sense in my view. You have to see the CISO in particular in large organizations as a leader, as, as, a, as the leader of, of a team where all those various disciplines are going to be represented and architected as part of a coherent operating model, preferably. And, and it's that team which is going to ensure the, 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 the security of the firm and, and its asset. So we talk about the CISO as one individual, and as a matter of fact, in many large organizations, there is an individual at the, at the head of the cybersecurity function. But fundamentally, we have to see that person as a, as, as a leader and the CISO function as a leadership function. And this is why we have architected the four categories in the way we have. This is not just a, a technical job. It cannot be just a technical job, in particular, in large organizations. That's a little bit the thinking behind that section in the report. Thank you, JC. And um, Paul, what do you think about this? Actually, to build on JC's point, I totally agree on the fact that um, one individual can't um, be able to do everything or expected to be uh, all things to all people. So, so broadly, I think that the, the aspect that I um, discussed with, with Sisa is around building that broader team. And in some cases, that team very much is a is a virtual team in regards that some of the individuals aren't reporting into the CISO uh, team or, or individual. Um, so we think about things like the CISO expecting, for example, to uh, be able to outline strategy, communicating, you know, teaching cyber awareness uh, and cyber hygiene to the broader group um, at the same time, uh, really getting into the, the depths of uh, what needs to be delivered to to fulfill the kind of compliance uh, requirements so really that's where 
diverse skills uh, and capabilities are required within that team. And we talk again about that in, in the report around thinking about um, building out the right type of diverse team. So, so for me, it's more about what is the expectations of the role and the team under the CISO, and then how, how uh, the CISO articulates requirements onto the wider business and, and gains that support through the wider business as well, because one individual can't, can't do everything. Similar theme here. Martin, do you agree? I, I, I do. I think we're hitting the right points about uh, leadership, the ability to build teams and importantly, diversity. Uh, those elements are essential for a, a successful CISO and CISO organisation. So I think we're, we're spot on there. Thank you. So Martin, coming back to you, um, we offer some practical steps that CISOs can take to secure the hybrid working space. And one of those is, as we've mentioned before, to implement a zero trust model. But as you say in the article that we reference in the report, executing this strategy can be incredibly complex. So what are some of the key challenges that arise for CISOs when it comes to putting zero trust into action? Yeah, I think I think that's right, Jill. I mean, the, the philosophy behind the zero trust approach is it can be made really simple. You know, not, nothing is trusted. Each user, each device, each connection into your business must be continuously authenticated, authorized, and then repeatedly verified. And it sounds simple, right? And while that definition may be simple, the actual execution of strategy, as you were saying, can be incredibly complex because Numerous security tools need to work together to make zero trust a reality. Different teams need to communicate and agree on priorities and policies to make security consistent and effective. Um, information from every security discipline needs to be combined to inform access decisions that can be enforced quickly and, and make the threat response faster. So, um, you know, zero trust really is, is a journey. And, and where you start and where you go next is just, it's not the same for everyone. And, and that decision itself is tightly linked with what you're trying to achieve. And I, I've certainly seen organizations progress their zero trust journey by focusing on a specific security domain. So perhaps focusing very much on the, the network itself or around identity. And, and that certainly is one way to, to make some progress. But but for zero trust to be really effective, um, it needs to be cross organization. You need cross organizational buy-in and beyond uh, the CISO team. And I think that's the, the the art and the challenge to make zero trust really the North Star, you know, the guiding set of principles for an organization. And what counters that is, is very much to do with complexity uh, across the organization and um, you know, people believing that perhaps this is another quick fix or silver bullet when really uh, it, it's it's a transformational approach and it's a, a much more about an evolution of what organizations have been doing um, than, you know, some sort of big bang, bang approach. And, and therefore it's going to take uh, months and quarters and, and years to drive the organization in this direction. And I, I do think one of the ways to make it uh, less challenging or to anchor it is to try and pick, take a, a business-centric view and pick those key business initiatives um, 
and applies zero trust principles across across that initiative rather than focus on a specific domain or specific technology. Uh, I think that's one of the key ways in which organisations can can make progress. Thank you, Martin. JC, what do you think? I totally agree with what Martin said, and, and uh, I think it's important to see it under that light. There are countless um, countless articles online, you know, uh, picturing zero trust and, and, and zero trust migration as something simple, some, something turnkey, and it's anything but. You know, like many projects of that sort in the identity and access management space or in the access control space, you cannot be successful without the involvement of your business, without the involvement of your business in its entirety, in all its complexity, you know, including the geographical spread of your of your business, sometimes including your supply chain, quite often including HR as well and a number of other players. And 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 at that stage, you start plugging into corporate culture and corporate governance. There are organizations which work well across silos. There are organizations that simply don't. And and you know, you, you to be successful with the zero trust type of, of of project, you have to give yourself time. You have to acknowledge the cultural and the governance challenges you may be having. And it is certainly not a turnkey project, and it's important for people to understand that. You know, it, it's it's something which um, is is essential, probably in, in the in in the world we are heading towards. You know, in, in post pandemic, but but it's uh, it's certainly not a turnkey or a quick win. And Paul. Yeah, so Jill, um, in regards to this particular area, I think um, the experiences that I've seen, first of all. In the CISO community where we discuss this in, in round tables, we don't refer to uh, the program of work as zero trust uh, into, into the actual business itself. We, we typically uh, term it under some of the business change areas that are a lot more appealing to, to the business and the user base. Um, other areas that I think Martin referred to were uh, looking at a specific domain of focus. Certainly. Um, a lot of the discussions I've seen centre around areas like identity and thinking about the identity within the environment of the user, thinking about areas like multi-factor authentication is kind of the first principle, especially if if a, a third-party device or even a, a business device is used within that environment. So just trying to pick off um, some of those points without trying to take a bite of everything in one go. Um, certainly the feedback I, I get is organisations feel like they're not not anywhere near the completion of, of where they want to get to, but they certainly have created a, a roadmap that they're looking at and, and it's a journey um, that involves the whole business. Um, and I think that the last principle that I've seen that works well is if there's uh, an expansion in the business or a new part of the business where effectively some of the new capabilities can be rolled out first to give that kind of pilot approach that then um, recommendations come back into the business around that then helps with the overall move towards zero trust and sort of takes away some of the the challenges that would be seen if it was a, a kind of a mass rollout or, or um, a larger kind of single program of work so uh, I think building on uh, what JC and uh, and uh, Martin were saying is very much what I'm seeing as well thank you Paul um, so just to come back to um, one of the points that you've all already made today, the report recognises that 
the well-known fact really that diversity is hugely important in the cyber industry when it comes to fostering creativity and different ways of thinking in order to solve problems and make better decisions. And of course, the other hard fact is that the sector faces a considerable skills shortage. Jean Christophe, if I can come to you first, in your experience, what's the biggest challenge for the CISO in addressing these issues? Um, I'm going to answer slightly, I'm going to go slightly off, off a tangent and, and, and talk a little bit about the skills gap and that will take us back into, uh, into the diversity topic. Um, for me, the skills gap is real, but it is rooted in a number of factors. And uh, fundamentally, the, the, the cybersecurity industry needs to make itself attractive. That, that's, the, that's the bottom line in my view. It has never been very good at it. It still carries an image which is overly technical, which is overly uh, nerdy, if you want. And that's something the cybersecurity industry needs to address. It's not just technical jobs. It is not just technical jobs. There are lots of jobs which in nature are not technical by themselves. Of course, there is a techni technical content, a technical background, but there are lots of issues, which lots of jobs which are not technical by themselves in, in, in training, in awareness, in auditing, in all sorts of areas. Uh, and of course, there are very, very, very exciting management uh, and leadership opportunities for, for, for people who want to prove themselves with a really hard topic, and, and in particular in organizations where, where transformation is needed. So, so the industry has to make itself more attractive. It has to adjust its narrative to make itself more attractive. And I think when we, when we manage to do that, we will start to see a different dynamic. Because at the, at the moment, uh, on, on top of, of the fact that the industry possibly has an image problem or still has an image problem, I also think that there are lots of things which are genuinely attractive. Uh, you know, there are many, many, many security operation centers which are still built around manual processes and many, many analysts who get into a security, the security profession and, and end up cutting and pasting stuff into Excel spreadsheets, you know, produce reports which end up on somebody's desk. Nobody really knows what this is used for. They put sticks in boxes for compliance and that's it. Those jobs are not really exciting. And, and, and very often they don't match what those young people were expecting and they end up leaving and they never come back. So I, I, I think we have to work, the industry has to work to make itself more, more attractive, both in adjusting its image and also maybe in, in decluttering its, its practices to make them more automated, more clever, smarter, to attract and more importantly retain um, you know, the people who decide to start their career there. And to me, this is, this is, it's in that context that you need to inject diversity. But in my opinion, the minute you start changing the narrative and, and, and changing the entry level and you start offering career paths and, and, and role models to the people entering the profession, you should start to see, you know, diversity, uh, the, the, the diversity problem uh, evolving as well. Thanks, JC. Martin, um, do you have any thoughts on what the CISO can do to attract and retain the best security talent? Yes, yes. And, and let me start by saying, I, you know, I agree with JC's point about technical. You know, this is not just about technical roles and technical skills. Um, it's much broader uh, than that. And um, I think diversity is such an important topic here. It's, it, you know, this is not exclusive to cybersecurity, but um, I think there's plenty of evidence to suggest, and certainly I personally believe that diverse teams are, are more successful uh, in this domain and bring that rounded and broad 
and innovative approach to the different challenges we we face and and i think to achieve diversity we, we are going to need to look at non-traditional uh sources uh, of talent uh not necessarily from a, a you know traditional university background as we might have in the past but really look at internships apprenticeships um there's a very interesting initiative called uh salute my job which focuses on uh enabling ex-military personnel to uh, enter the cyber workforce you know providing them with free training uh, a whole program around that uh, apprenticeships and so on and and those types of initiative um to to bring diverse and new talent and, and reskill uh, existing workforce i think are going to be uh, you know essential for us to make progress around the skills challenge we face absolutely thank you martin and paul yeah just just to build on uh, what martin jc was saying um, this also does relate back to the wider kind of skills uh, focus for for digital and and cyber together um, quite interestingly, I was, I was reading uh, the NCS report called Decrypting Diversity around thinking about some of these areas. And um, there was a good article there from Sarah Self, who's the CISO for Aviva. And she talks about kind of key areas like mentorship and sponsorship, which has certainly benefited um, her, her career and development, which she, she very much um, gives back in that same way to the industry. So I think having those good role models uh, in the industry is, is absolutely key. Uh, and also breaking those stereotypes um, around how cybersecurity is perceived, which is, you know, what JC was talking about. If you if you typically uh, look at how cybersecurity is perceived around, you know, a guy in a hoodie, 15 screens in a darkened room, you know, that that tends to put people off when actually it's way more than that. So I think think also getting involved a lot earlier on. Um, certainly, I've I've had a number of cyber apprentices. Uh, in my team, which have gone on to 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 develop their career, and also others coming in um, from an early in career perspective, and and really from the the last point is thinking about that diverse hiring practices, you know, putting that on its head. So not looking at the typical uh, degree, experience level, and certifications, actually looking more broadly. Um, certainly, one of the best cyber experts that I've worked with in the past came from actually a history and arts background for example, and um, so really really thinking differently and, and challenging that process and actually having a different process in place will, will certainly open open that up uh, moving forward for, for businesses that are, are hiring in the cyber area. I think that's a great point, Paul, and a good place to draw this episode to a close because I'm afraid that that is us out of time now. But I'd just like to finish by saying a huge thank you to all three of our guests, Microsoft's Paul de Cruz, Corex partners, Jean-Christophe Gaylord, and IBM Securities, Martin Borat. It's been a really interesting conversation, one that I know Tech UK will continue over the course of 2022. And we're grateful to all of you, both for contributing to the report and for taking the time to chat more about the topics covered. And to our listeners, we've talked about this being the second in the series of reports Tech UK is pulling together on how people underpin cybersecurity. Indeed, the first two have concentrated on the CISO and larger organisations, looking at board level relationships and the role of the function itself. In future reports, we'll explore the CISO function more specifically for SMEs and tackle topics such as how to make informed buying decisions. So keep an eye out on techuk.org or techuk's Twitter and LinkedIn channels for those. 
In the meantime, remember you can download the full The Role of the CISO in a Digitally Transformed Organisation report on the Tech UK website. And if you'd like to get involved in any of Tech UK's future cyber people reports, please do get in touch with me at any time via jill.broom at techuk.org. Thanks so much for listening today and goodbye for now.